0: most original and creative talent in our business would you welcome mr orson wells
1: ladies and gentlemen orson wells again come to call for another visit good evening this is orson wells
0: Buck Benny, a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses.
2: Well, Joel, again, this is Buck Benny speaking, I'm here with Terry Phillips. I'm here with Catherine Fuller Seely, and we're talking Orson Welles. Uh, today's episode of Orson um, really focuses a lot on South America. He has a uh, uh, he gets a letter written into him asking him about South America, and it's an area where he feels like he has a lot of information to share. And so it's it's kind of a travelogue sort of episode in some ways. Uh, Terry, what did you uh, think of the episode or what stood out to you?
3: Uh, well, this episode was broadcast originally on March 3rd, 1946. Uh, you're right. He does mention uh, South America quite a lot and says that he visited every country south of the border. So, yeah. of course, I had to check cuz i honestly did not know how many countries there were south of the us mexico border
2: there are 600 already... countries south
3: <laughs> i don't <laughs> know how many <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give it to you within um, w- within 50% <laughs>
2: yeah
3: <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer is 20 there are 20 countries oh. between i
2: thought
3: there were more there were more there there are 12 in south america and then uh, seven in Central America. And of course, you have to include oh, Mexico,
2: true. south of the border. That is true.
3: <laughs> um, so Ocean Wells was you know, well-traveled. He saw the, uh, the entirety of Latin America. Um, he describes himself in this episode as a liberal and an optimist, which is an interesting combination, I think. He makes reference to something called the Four Freedoms, which... Uh, were promoted by Franklin Roosevelt, and they were freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Uh, And then he goes into some, uh, at at some length, into talking about two proposed pieces of legislation, the May Bill and the McMahon Bill. And these were both proposed uh, laws to uh, regulate um, atomic power. Uh, The May Bill, introduced by uh, Andrew May and the McMahon Bill was written by Brian McMahon and uh, Orson Welles was strongly opposed to as you'll hear him uh, explain in this episode strongly opposed to the first and in support of the second and in fact the second passes with some uh, amendments and it uh, led to the creation of the 1946 Atomic Energy Act but it was a it, it, it was a focus on the the uh, dual purpose of uh, atomic energy, both as a weapon and to produce fuel. And it's something that is obviously still controversial to this day, but Orson Welles went into some detail as he had previously uh, talked about um, the danger of uh, nuclear weapons or atomic weapons as they were then called. Right, And um, he can't remember whether it was in this episode or the previous one, might've been the previous episode. He talked about all the
2: spies yeah, there was previous episode. Um,
3: yeah, and uh, there were, you know, it was the middle of the Cold War. There were yeah. a lot of uh, Soviet spies in the United States, and of course, uh, the the, uh, the reverse happened too. And some of these people, as Orson Welles, got caught. A lot of them didn't. And Wells takes a an interesting position on U.S. Soviet relations throughout these commentaries. Of course, he's very critical of uh, communist dictatorship. But he's also supportive of Russian people and Russian culture and the notion of a different way of life than ours because he is so well-traveled and knows that there are many different ways uh, that people look at things. It was not quite as intense an episode as the previous one, yes. but it was still yes. fascinating. He is, as always, ahead of his time on these issues and takes strong positions on
2: Well, I think what's interesting too, is he's so nuanced on things like you're saying, like you you were saying about Russia against their leadership, but supports the Russian people, supports their culture, right? Um, You just, in this modern day, we just don't get public figures that seem to be that nuanced. It seems like you either believe this or you believe that. It's sort of cut and dried a lot more. And with him, he sort of, even though he's ultra liberal, he's got this nuance to him that makes him constantly interesting. Cause you never know exactly what he's going to say. It's like some people I feel like you listen to today and you just go, Oh, this is the subject. This guy's going to say X, Y, and Z. And he says X, Y, and Z with Orson. You can't really do that. You can go, he's probably going to hit on this and this and this, and, and you're one of them you'll be wrong on and you'll hit on two of them. And, so he's always surprising you a little bit, which is a great piece. And I think Kathy had something she wanted to say.
4: Oh no, just uh, it, it's fascinating what you talk about, and it's almost like in meet bef- until like today's media, until there would be blogs and 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 Twitter and things like that. You almost couldn't be Orson Welles for after 1946, and I'm just guessing he got pretty much hounded out of the country for daring to say, you know, I mean, the commie hunters would yeah. say, Oh, you pinko, you can't, you can't, you know, I mean, it's gotta be this or that you, you can't be nuanced. Right. And, um, uh, uh, uh especially for a especially from major mass media like network radio, there's just not, gonna, or network television, there's going to be no room for someone as nuanced as Orson, you know, maybe even up to today. Right. And it's only with, Um, uh, what make one of the things that make these uh, uh, little episodes seem so contemporary and interesting is that um, uh, one person can get the sort of full range of of ideas and thoughts, you know, across a wide range of topics. Um, There wouldn't be room for that in mass media after this moment. You find uh,
2: that today, Uh, you look at MSNBC and you look at Fox. If, they have someone who on there who's somewhat nuanced that person tends to get kind of shoved to the side or given poor time slots and eventually they get rid of that person because it doesn't fit with their narrative and uh it's very difficult to be a nuanced person on those two shows uh, to those two networks you you they, they really, I think, want somebody that, that's a little less nuanced and, and, and sticks with what they think is the way to, to view the world. And that's a sad thing. I mean, I, I think the nuanced folks are the most interesting ones. And you just don't always have to agree with them. I mean, uh, and I don't want somebody presenting to me that I agree with everything they say. I want somebody to present what they really feel like. And and I go, OK, I can take this and I can lose that and I can still respect them as a person and that's OK. But uh, it, it's just that that to me is tremendously interesting that just the way he presents things is, is huge. The other thing I was going to guys about about this particular episode is is do you know anything about South America and why in like the early 40s? I, mean, I think there's something it's either legislation, some reason that uh, and my knowledge, of course, is always very limited in spectrum so i know i know that uh disney was releasing a bunch of shows that were about uh southern sort of travelogue sort of shows saludo samuda um, um, i don't I remember what that's called anyway amigos. yeah there you go there was like two or three different films that they had that yeah. were kind of focused on south america i know that that Orson after Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons, I believe his next project was gonna be about South America. He did a whole bunch of work for it and created maybe half of a film or two thirds of a film, but it didn't end up getting actually released and made, but he uses that information and we'll see going forward on these um, commentaries, he takes and he uses a lot of that information to fill a bunch of his commentaries. Uh, because he probably he has all this that information he didn't have any way to share it previously and so this gives him an avenue so we're going to find more and more of this talk about South America as we go forward but was there a reason why this is was happening was it
4: something in well, the culture I'll, I don't can, I'll put can I put on my historian hat One, a long history, the Monroe Doctrine, dating back to President Monroe. America, as it grew as a power, was tremendously concerned about everything. Mexico and South Central and South America becoming colonized by the Europeans, the same way the European powers were dividing up Asia and dividing up Africa. And so um, uh, uh, since the 18, that's the 1820s um, uh, um uh, the united states have been trying really hard to keep foreign powers uh from just taking over the nations nevertheless they were taking over the nations there's also huge um uh, 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 commercial interests you know they're not called banana republics for nothing um the uh, uh, the sugar companies the banana companies somebody fruit um uh, had huge um the copper mines so there were huge economic interests, in the in the uh, resources of South America, and that brought in uh, both political things and uh, companies trying to run uh, 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 countries. That led to revolutions in the south. But in World War in World War One, the uh, European powers had tried to um, uh, 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 involve the Latin American countries to distract the U.S. Indeed, Germany had tried to get. Um, Mexico to declare war on the U.S. and claim they could get Texas back um, Uh, to distract the U.S. for going into World War I. So World War II comes along and it's all being fought in Europe and in Asia. And and Roosevelt and the Americans are terrified that it's going to come to, you know, uh, Central and South America. So they get Disney to make there is this whole campaign of uh, teach Americans that the Latin Americans are our friends. Right. Let's let's think nicely about them. There are allies in the same way that the Russians, for a while, were our allies. Hooray, comrades! Um, so uh, a lot of this is deliberate propaganda.
2: Okay, and that's and what I, also, But it's, very,
4: that but it's complicated. Our hands are not clean.
3: There, there was so. also a genuine uh, cultural interest in uh, Latin America uh, music from Latin dances, America, dancing. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't all, it wasn't all dark, uh, right. or, or even, uh, you know, pol- positively political, but, but certainly Kathy, you are right that we were, um, we, we were playing our hand in, uh, uh, the countries South of our border. We didn't want, um, those nasty Europeans <laughs> messing <laughs> in, in our backyard. Right. And of course we created the, uh, the organization of American states, uh, NATO nations were not welcome there. Right. And I, I think there's there's one final note, which is that um, we have always been uh, promoters of a democracy, right? I mean that's our that's our brand, right? And there was lots of room for developing democracy in Latin America. It was right. hard to do. In Europe, because they they had a, a longer history and, and their yeah. own uh, their own forms of government, but in Latin America, we had plenty of room to promote our way of uh, of democracy and and freedom as we saw it. And I think that was the other reason why it was so important to us yeah. to
2: bind yeah. all these countries together. I think so. That's interesting. Okay. Well, anything else to add on this episode, Terry? Are we good? I thought it was a really good episode. I think I think you're going to enjoy it. It's really different with the like I say the focus on, and you might learn something about about South America because I mean, uh, for instance, there's not 600 countries that are South. uh, Uh, and, and the one Terry left out, you know, Terry thinks he knows everything. But, you know, he talks about the different countries that are south of us. So what about Canada? You didn't mention Canada at all. So uh, if you go all the way around, you mean, yeah, yes, you're right. Sure. If you go south far enough, you're going to hit Canada. I think that's. Uh, thank you for the save, Terry. That was good. <laughs> see, so Daryl's not as dumb as everyone thinks. Uh, anyway, it's all good. <laughs> we'll see you next week for more orson wells and i hope you i hope you guys are enjoying this nearly as much as the three of us are because we really enjoy it and i guess whether you enjoy it or not we're fine because we enjoy it we'll keep on doing this so see you folks next week thanks again everybody bye
1: hello this is orson wells we give you a radio a lear radio for every letter we can use on this weekly broadcast what kind of letter? Make it important or trivial. There aren't any rules, just make it interesting. Today's radio, for instance, goes to a lady who wants some travel advice. Dear Mr. Wells, she writes, I wonder if you'd speak on South America. I've read travel books about Buenos Aires and Rio de Janeiro in which these cities resemble Shangri-La, where the sun always shines and the people are always merry. I was on the verge of packing my little trunk and leaving immediately. Such a paradise would suit me perfectly. However, lately in the newspapers I've been reading that Buenos Aires and Rio are hotbeds of fascism and political upheaval in which the people are either Nazi bullies or members of the poor downtrodden masses. If a person were to venture on a simple shopping expedition, he'd probably be caught up in a mob and shot by a magnificent policeman on a magnificent horse. You've traveled in South America, Mr. Wells. I wonder if you have some light to shed on this rather muddled matter. Yours very truly, Miss Evelyn Taylor. Well, in spite of the strikes and shortages and all the other war and post war worries, maybe because of them, lots of folks like Miss Talia are hoping to take a little trip of themselves to a foreign land or two or three. And because Europe and Asia are such poor, sad, hungry places nowadays, South America, from a tourist's eye view, looks better than ever. As one who's been lucky enough to visit every single country south of the border, who's been to the backlands of Mato Grosso, the remotest reaches of the Andes, who's followed the Amazon from source to mouth, who's talked to presidents in South America and revolutionaries and Nazi spies, I'm glad to be able to give Miss Talia a reply to her letter based on direct experience. We'll get to that in just a minute. When you buy a Lear home radio, you can expect great things. For
0: Lear radios have a unique background and a rare reputation in very exacting work. Ever since 1930, Lear has been making radios for aircraft. And from coast to coast, from Alaska to the tip of South America, Lear, L-E-A-R, is known as the name Men Fly By. This is why you can expect great things from your Lear home radio. It's why you'll find features in them that radio's never had before. Things like the Lear tape recorder, for example. With this, you can capture a favorite radio program or an amateur performance by your friends, or baby's first words. You can play the recording right back, and keep on playing it for a lifetime if you wish. But on the other hand, what you don't want to keep can be whisked away off the tape just by recording something else. Tape recording is only one of the Lear special features. It's one of the great things you get in a Lear home radio.
1: Now back to Orson Welles. About your trip, Miss Talia, first of all, remember that South America isn't a country, it's a continent full of all kinds of countries, all of them different from each other. Nazi bullies, you ask, downtrodden masses, well, you'll find them all. Shangri-La, you'll find that, too, or as near to it as any citizen has a right to look for. The Latin American economy is colonial or semi-colonial. Like our southern states, the first culture was based on slave labor, and the resultant social blemishes and social charms are very similar. There's much less racial discrimination no lynching, but I have seen more than one Indian fall to his knees before his landlord and master. That was in the backlands, however, Miss Telia, and you aren't likely to encounter such a thing on a pleasure trip. Some of the country's easy to live in, most of it's easy to look at. There's every sort of city. Sao Paulo is like a Portuguese-speaking Detroit. Montevideo manages to be very pleasant and very modern at the same time. Lima and Quito and Bahia are as picturesquely old as anything the old world had to offer before the buzz bombs and the blitz. The ruined cities of the Indians are the equal of the pyramids and Angkor Wat. The gay cities of the Latins are the gayest cities in the world today. Mexico City is the most cosmopolitan and everything wonderful you've ever heard about Rio is absolutely true. Oh, excuse me, you heard you're likely to be caught up in a mob and shot by a magnificent policeman on a magnificent horse. No, ma'am, no. That's Buenos Aires, not Rio. There's just been a comparatively free election in Brazil after long dictatorship. And if there's any political upheaval, it's no worse than what you'll find in Washington. It's too late for you to get to Rio for the carnival. That's going on now, but try to make the next one. There never was anything like it anywhere else. A combination New Year's Eve, Fourth of July, and Christmas morning, and then some, and then some more. Goes on for days, and everybody's in it. There's a saying that Rio spends half the year getting ready for the carnival, and the other half getting over it. You want to spend money? The newly finished Quinta high in the mountains. An hour's drive from Rio is the most luxurious hotel ever built my man. Don't expect Latin America to be cheap. The absence of wartime government controls have brought inflation and prices in some places are as high as here, even higher. Think what that means to a poor peon and his pennies. The count isn't in on the Argentine elections. As of this week, our hemisphere Hitler, Colonel Perón, is holding a slight lead. If he wins, don't go near the country or the countries. He will rule. Might be better then if you visit Yosemite or the Grand Canyon. Matter of fact, if there's any more dictatorship in the world, you better stay home in quarantine. Fascism is catching. You won't be any too safe there hoping your trip will be everything you want it to be, Mrs. Taylor. I remain, as always, obediently yours. Well, from Europe, I hear that the reaction to our great Canadian spy scare is entirely one of amusement. A British wit has summed up our atomic energy policy this way. The Americans say there is no secret, and what's more, we're going to keep it. I wonder, does anyone imagine we don't have intelligence officers? You can translate that spies in the Soviet Union to check on how they're doing in their efforts to produce the bomb, and in Spain and Argentina to see how the Nazi scientists are progressing, and in England, too, to check on how much they learned during our joint work. The only difference is we have the bomb at the moment, so more intelligence officers, translate spies, are working here, and one of them got himself caught. Well known to its empire of readers is Time Magazine's slogan boast, curt, clear, concise. Just as familiar are fur-browed publisher Henry Luce's views on the American century. His wife's wisecracking globalone, dismissal of Henry Wallace's common man internationalism. No good friend of red Russia is red-covered time. Even when time is not entirely clear or concise, it is invariably curt on the subject of the Soviet Union. This week of last week's cloak-and-dagger spy scare up in Canada said time, Ottawa well knew, and so did many another discerning Canadian, that the Russian search for scientific data in the Dominion was neither surprising nor reprehensible. The best nations do it. Unquote. Responsible journalistic opinion on this is worth quoting because the fuss and feathers aren't without a smell of tar... In these bad-tempered times, the record needs to be kept as straight as possible. I want you to have more than my word for it that the Kremlin was not caught red-handed by the Canadian Mounties plotting the conquest of America. Time's view is more valuable here because Time's editorial policy is not avowedly liberal. For publishers like Mr. Hurst and Colonel McCormick, liberal is another word for communist. Some of you listening may read that kind of newspaper, and if I tell you what's going on up in Canada these days, is a witch hunt you'll think, there goes another one of those commies apologizing for Stalin. Well, that's the work of the witch hunters, the men who, for their own benefit, want to keep things as they are. They find a name to smear on everybody who wants to improve things. The improvements are always called dangerous foreign ideas. Thomas Jefferson's ideas, for instance, were supposed to have come from France. And the Americans who supported those ideas were called Jacobean's, in the same way Franklin Roosevelt's reforms and Wendell Wilkie's One World Outlook were called communistic. Improvement itself, any kind of improvement, is written down as alien. Well, as a patriotic American, I resent this effort by the reactionaries to hand the Soviet Union leadership in the democratic cause. Stalin's Russia, with its secret police, occasional political terrorism, and constant party dictatorship, is less a liberal's model for government than that of the powerful subversives who call a liberal a red. Because I'm an optimist, I believe we can live in peace with Russia. Because I'm a liberal, I believe we should liberalize, by example and by moral leadership, Russia's political democracy. Instead of which, by our tacit underwriting of Britain's repressive colonial policies, we're intensifying Russia's repressive policies. Of course, the American dollar is on an offensive of its own, but... That's another topic for another talk. I wanted the point made today that all the hoopla and rowdy-dow about the Russian spies up in Canada doesn't amount to much. Unless we're suckers, it doesn't bring us any closer to war. And I can't leave this postscript about my own position without quoting myself once again on this matter of communism. As I've said many, many times before, we should not fight communism. We should compete with communism. An awful lot of hungry and unhappy people sharing this earth with us is isn't much of a share they have, these slaves and semi-slaves, and they're beginning to ask for a better portion. Mr. Vyshinsky's hot and hasty words at the London conference had to do with oil and seaports, but were mostly a part of an appeal by the Soviet Union to those slave peoples who want to break their chains and need somebody's help to do it. Russia's going to get her oil and her seaports a sufficiency. We aren't going to fight a war over that sufficiency, but Russia will be too big to live with if she ever speaks exclusively... For the undernourished, the diseased, the ill-housed, the freedom-yearning world majority. If Russia wanted war with Britain and America, it could never gain the strength to fight that war... ...with the Britain and America of the Four Freedoms. The Britain and America of the Four Freedoms would never fight that war, would never have to. But the fear of war is everywhere. It echoes in an argument in London, a speech in Washington or Moscow... Ordinary folks doing their ordinary jobs don't talk too much about that fear of war. They don't want to think about it. But they've caught the plague. You can smell it in the air. The stench blows around the world from Hiroshima. We conquered the atom, but the atom bomb has conquered us. The Canadian spy hysteria has put Congress in a mood to pass the May Johnson bill, which puts the emphasis on the bomb and not on the peaceful uses of the energy. The bill has all the possibilities in it of establishing a fascist dictatorship. Because of the desperate urgency of the situation, I can reveal that President Truman agreed yesterday morning after a talk with people inside of the administration to get the congressional leaders together tomorrow morning and make them promise to try to keep May from putting his bill before the House. More about that in just a minute. But first, your attention, please, for an interesting announcement. Earlier in this program,
0: I told you about Lear Sound on Tape, a new kind of recording you find on Lear radios that's way ahead of wire recording. This is just one of the new features you find on these handsome, fine-working radios. There are many others, such as television, worldwide shortwave, FM, and a unique method of selecting your station and adjusting the volume by remote control. You can sit in your easy chair anywhere in the room and roam the airwaves without touching your radio set. All this may make it sound as though Lear radios must be expensive, but actually they are not. Lear radios are priced over a wide range with models to suit everyone. The finest of them all, a console combination with everything, including television, costs about $500. And on the other hand, for a smart, good-looking, capable table model you pay only $19.95. But no matter what you pay, you can be sure that you get the most value for your money in a radio made by Lear. L-E-A-R. Now back to Orson Welles, whose views and opinions are his own and do
1: not necessarily
0: represent those of Lear Incorporated.
1: One of the chief concerns of the founding fathers was to keep power in our American government ...out of the hands of the military. Until just now, it looked as though they'd succeeded. The May Bill covering the atom bomb... ...calls for a commission of nine men with no limitations... ...against members of the Army and Navy... ...on active service from becoming members. One provision of the bill gives this commission... ...full authority to issue restrictive regulations... ...over and above the Espionage Act... ...on dissemination of scientific information... ...with criminal penalties for violation. You can see what that means. The May Bill, that's the bad one. The good one has been introduced by Brian McMahon of Connecticut. It specifically puts atomic energy under the complete control of the government and in the hands of a five-man commission, all of whom must be civilians. Under the May Bill, private production and ownership of fissionable materials, uranium, for instance, can be authorized. And the May Bill, that's the bad one, makes no provision on patents. The commission may buy or condemn private patents or permit their restrictive use. And you can see what that means. McMahon's bill, that's the good one, is locked in the committee, most of whose members are strong, anti-liberal Democrats and Republicans. Jim Newman, who's working on the committee, saw the president Thursday on the possibility of presidential pressure to get the McMahon bill out of the committee so that the fight for intelligent control of atomic energy could be made in public on the floor of the Senate. President Truman promised to do what he could, but he pointed out that there's not one man aside from McMahon whom he can deal with. May whose bill was already reported out of the House Military Affairs Committee, is threatening daily to bring his bill, the bad one, up for House consideration. If he carried out his threat, the bill would probably be passed. Administration lobbyists and executive pressure boys are busy still trying to get Paulie in. And have no time for housing, OPA, or anything else at the present time. Well, speaking of time, my time's up. Thanks for letting me come to call. Join me next week. Until then, speaking for my sponsors, the makers of Lear Radio, I remain, as always, obediently yours.
0: This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.